Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. This is the second and final part of our very special Dayton Strong series. We are sharing stories of survival, struggle, and strength during this episode recorded at the Dayton Metro Library. Dayton area residents were invited to tell us their tales related to the terrifying Memorial Day tornadoes, mass shooting in our very own Oregon District, and other community rallying events. Dayton Daily News reporter Cornelius Froelich and I were amazed by the courage, generosity, and love our fellow citizens shared with us. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a product of Dayton.com, sponsored by Premier Health. This episode was produced in association with Dayton Daily News and WHIO Radio and TV. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find shows you just love. In the first conversation in this episode, Corey talks to 30-year-old Dayton area resident, Sabrina Cox. Were you personally impacted? I was not, but I work in Vandalia, and so I had fallen asleep early the night of the tornadoes. Um, I I live in Kettering now, currently. I got up the next morning, got ready for work, drove to work like normal, and came around the corner uh, going towards North Dixie and just had to pull over because I had no idea. I knew that we had had storms the night before, but I, I did not know the level of what was happening. And if you're heading north on 75 now, you can still see the destruction. It was so much worse the next day. So it was really hard to stay at work the rest of the day without wanting to immediately leave to go do something. I just felt like I had to do something. Did you wake up and did you check your text? Did you have a lot of people just say, you know, saying, oh my gosh, there's tornadoes are hitting the day? Right. So I, I have a routine in the morning where I just kind of get up and I have to get up at like six like normal people do but I get you know dressed and I do my thing and then I just get in the car and leave and the only time I normally would touch my phone is if I was turning on a podcast or something and I saw that I had some text messages but I don't know if I woke up late that morning or or what but I, I didn't pay any attention to anything I knew the night before that there was a tornado watch, but we live in Ohio. We have tornado watches and warnings all the time. Nothing ever happens. We live in the Miami Valley where tornadoes don't hit in a valley, right? So I was completely flabbergasted. Did it even take a moment for your brain to process like, wait, what? Oh, absolutely. It felt like I was in an IMAX theater watching it on a screen. Like there was no way, absolutely no way that was real. Was your business impacted? Um, So we were about a mile. I work right around the corner from Miller Lane and we were about a mile from everything. I had to drive right through it to get to work. Um, And there's like an old hotel there, and I'm sure that you've seen it since, that is completely gone and, and just driving up on that and seeing every single window just completely blown out and every tree on the left side of the road gone and just the utter destruction. The news is kind of guilty of making every storm sound like it's the worst thing in the world. So if we're talking Earth, you know, the day before, sure. like, storms coming. Well, we're always talking about storms. Yeah. For a tornado to hit an urban area. So did you complete that first day of work? Uh, I did. As soon as I left work, I found out that Robin Sassenberg, who owns Trolley Stop, that her house was demolished and that some of my friends were there. I have a, a really tight core group of friends within the Oregon District that were basically a big family. And so... Um, I found out that they were there and I went there to see what I could do and I had to obviously find roads that weren't closed and I really got to see everything being in that neighborhood. I tried to help her find her cat but by the time we got there there was no power, there wasn't really anything salvageable and everyone was just kind of like what do we do? So I left there and I went home and I made a plan for the next day. I'm a planner, that is my thing. for what I could do that would be the most beneficial because I felt like when I went to Robin's house, I couldn't do anything to help. So I didn't sleep that night. I got up, I went to work the next day, did the work thing again as much as I could, and then I went to Trotwood, and that's where I stayed for about uh, a week and a half volunteering any moment that I wasn't at work. That's incredible. So what were you doing during that time period? Initially, the girls who work at Heart Mercantile, who are some of my best friends, and Libby Ballinger and some other people were organizing groups to go out to Trotwood to help 
because that seemed where they needed you know, the most amount of people. We actually set up with Pippin's Market and a group that was there and started collecting donations from every which way. The first and second days of being there, people who were living in like Westbrook Village, which had been completely demolished, um, and their cars were gone, they would just walk down the hill to Pippin's Market to get the supplies that they needed. And we just kept a steady stream of social media posts going through Hearts page and through other business pages, just trying to get people to drop off donations, and they did. It was, it was incredible. I wish that I had a better word for that, for the amount of donations that poured in from everywhere, the amount of volunteers that showed up. Pippin's Market started as a few tables outside in the gas station and ended up in like extra space that the uh, business had that they weren't using and it was an entire indoor operation by then anybody could stop by and get what they needed Um, I'm speechless even thinking about it now just the amount of support that came together right there because if you were in Westbrook Village you had nothing left right everything was gone the tornado hit on Sunday and they found out the next day that they were condemned and they had seven days until the next Sunday to get out of their apartment. I can't imagine being told, okay, you have no plan, you have nowhere to go, but you have seven days to do it, right? We just tried to be as supportive as possible for those people. You weren't the only one that felt super compelled to you know, just be there every second that you had free. Yeah, everyone I talked to was down somewhere in a, in a tornado ravaged area doing something. It didn't matter who it was, so I am absolutely not special in that every person who had a van, every person who had a truck was taking donations. Every person that had space in their business or space in their house was collecting donations to take. We would go out to places to take you know, supplies because we wouldn't just stay at Pippin's. We would drive around in neighborhoods because people couldn't leave. They would be like, oh no, we're good. Somebody just brought all of these donations. We don't even have any place to put them. It was really great to see that. Do you think that that would happen in any community or do you think that there's something about Dayton that made people react in ways? You see goodwill after any kind of disaster, but do you think how we responded is unique now or different? I'm really biased. I just think that, you know, the reason that people stay in Dayton, I mean, we have a lot of really great things going for us, but it's the community. That's our heart. We're the gem city because of that. I would like to think that anywhere where something like this happened, people would come together, but I don't know if they would do it as effectively as Dayton did it. When you said you stayed up the night before, was that not being able to sleep just thinking about it or was that planning the whole time? I wanted to go then and there. I wanted to get in my car and I wanted to go do whatever I could do. Obviously, I'm not a large person. I know that I couldn't clear debris. I would never operate a chainsaw, but I wanted to be out there doing whatever I could do and I couldn't wait to do that. I think some of that stems because of the first night that we were at Pippin's, and I guess that's fast forwarding a little bit. People were coming down and telling us what people who were still living in their apartments that didn't have roofs, things that they needed. And I just kept running that supply list through my head, like constantly. Like, I know there's a family that's still there, and they can't get out until this day or that day, and these are the things that they need. So this is what I'm going to do to get the things that they need. And if those donations specifically weren't coming in, I would just go buy them. I mean, I ran my bank account hundreds of dollars negative doing that. But it was what needed to be done, and nothing else mattered. The second night that we were at Pippin's, A lady came down saying that there was a family of nine living in the worst part of Westbrook Village still and that they hadn't evacuated and she said that they needed food. So I tried to call any place that could deliver a hot meal to them. We had boxed food but they they needed a hot meal and they had children and elder like some elderly people living there. This is an issue in Trotwood anyways so I couldn't get anyone to deliver food there. I couldn't get you know Uber Eats to do it. I couldn't get DoorDash to do it. None of the restaurants would deliver to this neighborhood to begin with, right? So that says something. And then after this, I especially couldn't get anyone to go in there because there was no power. So I couldn't even get a pizza company to go and deliver a pizza there. They just wouldn't do it. It's a food desert in that area. So any restaurant that would have still had power isn't there. So We drove into Vandalia um, and waited over an hour in line at Wendy's because that's the only restaurant there was. 
ordered food for this family and I didn't know if they had dietary restrictions or really how many people were there or if they were even still there because by now like a couple of hours have passed I've been trying to get food delivered to them and now we're waiting at Wendy's and we get up to the window and the lady is so upset that I just ordered 15 cheeseburgers and 15 fries with this line and I said I'm so sorry we're taking this to a family and so she starts crying and uh, gives us a discount she was like I can get in a lot of trouble for that and I'm like I won't tell and we get the food and we drive all the way back and we're driving around what's left of Westbrook Village trying to find this family and I have just very very brief instructions on where we're going because a lady just came down the hill saying this part and they're in the bottom floor and there are nine of them and so we got out with our flashlights on our phones and bags of food and just started yelling and finally we saw a flashlight come back and it was in the worst building of all of Westbrook Village and I could not believe that there were nine people in that building like there should not have been nine people in that building and there were and they were so thankful that we brought them food because they couldn't get out they didn't have anything the husband who was there he said that he had someone bringing him a car so that he could drive his family to stay in one of the shelters that had been set up the next day. Because they didn't have a roof. Like it wasn't that they didn't have power and they didn't have water. They didn't have a roof and they were still there. But he said he was going to have to sleep in the car because they were only letting women and children stay at the shelter. I play that story back in my head all the time because you know, they were already so disparaged and then I couldn't get food to them. And now he doesn't even have a place where he can go and get a good night's rest after all of this. And we heard story after story about that being at Pippin's Market. And I think that's why I couldn't sleep to tie that all back around. That is what kept me going back there day after day. Did you see progress going back day after day? Yeah, eventually the traffic subsided because there was a lot of traffic of people trying to help others get out. And the people were gone and they started tearing down the buildings and fewer and fewer people were coming for donations and I like to think that was because they didn't need them. And I don't know if that's progress or if it was just the fact that everybody was gone and they didn't have a way to get there. Yeah, I don't know if that's progress, but I felt like we helped as many people as we could given the circumstance. Is this you, job pouring the support? Do you think it was sure. enough? I think that the physical donations were great and that the heart was really there. Like people came together to make sure that if somebody was hungry that they were going to get what they needed, if somebody needed water that they were going to have it. As far as the bigger need, so like the quick housing and those kinds of things, I know that they existed, that we there wasn't really a plan for this because it wasn't ever supposed to happen. I think that the ball was dropped in communicating that to those affected. They didn't have a way to get to those resources because they didn't have a car and they didn't have the internet and they couldn't watch TV and no one was going out to them and telling them that at first. Now I will say that eventually that did change. People were going out and telling people what their resources were and helping, but that initial need was not being met. These people didn't know that there were shelters that men could go and sleep in, so they were sleeping in, in other people's cars. They didn't know that they could get to the fire station if they needed X, Y, or Z because that wasn't being communicated to them. All they knew was that there was a piece of paper taped to their door telling them they had to be out of their building in seven days. And some of those buildings were being torn down before that seven days was even over. Mm. I think that overall, what could be done was done. And I hope that if this ever happens again and knock on what it doesn't, that maybe getting out to the community is placed higher on the list of things to do. Whose responsibility do you think that should be? Oh, that's such a tough question. It's really hard to put that on a city to say, go and figure this out. It's really hard to put that on churches and nonprofits to say, go and figure this out. But I think that if everyone came together more quickly and stopped duplicating efforts and had a conversation early on about how they could work more effectively, that that would eliminate that need. Now, eventually, that did happen. But everyone um, was so quick to throw themselves into gear and start getting out and helping, myself included, I'm as much to blame, that nobody had that conversation of, okay, well, you guys are doing this, and this is also what we're doing, so maybe we'll do this instead, so that everybody's every need is being met. And five months later, how do you feel like we're doing as recovering? You know, you can only guess where some of these people ended right. up. I feel like any response I give to that is going to be like half-hearted because I still drive through that every single day. 
and I do my best to not forget about what happened and to give back in whatever way I can. I still communicate with a lot of the families that I helped, but I I don't know that it will ever be one of those out of sight, out of mind things, which is probably good, but the destruction is still very much there and we have a long way to go as far as getting everything to a normal, not back to normal, but to a normal. I'm still in a lot of the tornado relief groups and, and things are still happening. I just hope that continued support for those affected continues, especially with mental health and those kinds of things, because we can give them a roof and we can give them food and those kinds of things that they need, but the uh, mental toll that that has taken on on those that were there and those that were immediate responders to that has to be something that we address as well. You think it's like anxiety, depression, just going through that experience? I'm sure. You lost everything and going through that traumatic experience, obviously, I can't imagine what that would do to you. I mean, I still think about it all the time, and I wasn't even there when it happened. It's interesting, because like, I always think we should be very so proud about how the community responded to this. We're like Dayton Strong, and we did all these yeah. good things, but we can't, as much as you responded, that stuff happened, and those people are still recovering, and no matter how much, you can't completely rebuild it for them. Right, no, and I, I think driving through any of those neighborhoods and just seeing that it's still all of these completely destroyed, there's not another word, destroyed buildings are still there and they're gonna be there for a long time because obviously demolishing all of that is very expensive. That is just a testament to exactly what you said. I don't venture out enough. Recently I drove up and just, I forget, I'm like, if this is progress, I can't imagine what it looked like before. Yeah, and it is, especially if you drive like north on 75, it's absolutely, <laughs> It is absolutely still destroyed, but it is so much better than it was. The trees are kind of starting to grow <laughs> back in whatever way that is, and, and buildings that needed to be knocked down are slowly but surely um, having that happen. But I, it just makes you, it makes you think that all of these times that things like this have happened in other places, you know, how long did it take for them to get you know, all of that taken care of and how long is it going to take us to get there too and I don't know if there's an answer to that. Is there anything we could do different? It seems like you lose everything. The only like real solution to losing everything, give them everything back, but I guess that's not oh, in the cards I'm for so thousands. <laughs> I think that everyone's initial response was gather as many donations as we can because these people have nothing and I get it. I did the exact same thing. But then five days and a week later, you just see piles and piles of donations on corners and no one's manning them because it's not anyone's job to man those donations. But there's not people there anymore and they're gone, right? They've, the buildings that they're lived in have been condemned and they had to go somewhere. So now there's just stuff everywhere, which is why I think having quick initial conversations with all of these groups that are coming together, you know, religious organizations, nonprofits, the city, to figure out the best way for people to come together because that's what we want to do. We want to donate and we want to give and we want to do all these things, but we need to know the best way to do that. And it's it's money. At the end of the day, it's money. And I think that that needs to be better relayed <laughs> to the public if something like this ever happens again. And, you know, there was no precedent for this. So how is anybody supposed to know that before? It's a highly segregated city by some measures. Some of this happened in very poor parts of Dayton. Do you feel like, richer parts of Dayton, do you feel like, I know there was an initial response, but do you feel like they actually, like, that made them feel part of it too? Like, did they did they feel like this happened to Dayton and not to these kind of segregated parts? I don't know. I wish that I had a better response to that because I feel like initially maybe they did, but I live in Kettering and I go to you know places that are outside of that and people were carrying on like everything was normal and I didn't understand how they could do that. I didn't understand why no one else's cart was full of bleach and water and everything else that I was taking to Trotwood. It just didn't make sense to me. I am probably overlooking a lot of really great things that people in those communities did. I wish that I would have seen more of it and I wish I would have seen more of it long term. I felt that way after the Oregon district shooting. Like just the week after, like I just like took a day off and went to the suburbs, and I was just like, I couldn't believe that like life is just normal. Nobody was even talking about it. I took two days off work and had to go to Miami Valley Hospital and get a note stating that I needed that for mental recovery. Yeah. And I thought I lived there for seven years. 
I could own a business there. Yeah. What do you mean I can't take two days off work? <laughs> That's insane. I had just, like, I had just left there, like, an hour and a half before that happened. I'm there every single day. Yeah. Dion Green, 37. And where do you live? North Ridge, Dayton. There's no one that's had a harder summer than you. It's nothing to brag about. So you were first hit by the tornadoes? May 29th, off of Wagner Ford, in that area, right Who off the that? highway by the hotel. And the house was destroyed? It got pretty tore up from the roof to the yards, the windows, everything. Well, the day before that, we had about 35 people over there for, that was our Memorial Day cookout. Mm -hmm. So I was resting the next day. So I'm just laying down watching TV. You know, when you got that satellite, when it rains, it goes out. So I'm just like, oh man, it's just raining hard, but it just keep going out. Just keep going out. So I get up and just sit, sit at the kitchen table and I just look over at the yard where the school's at, Grafton Kennedy, and it's just lighting up like firecracker. And I'm just like, hmm, this is, it's very strange, but Ah, it's just, just thunderstorm. We get that here in Ohio. Then some just like, hey, told my daughter and my girl to say, nah, let's not get in the bed yet. Keep your shoes on or something like that. So I'm just sitting, watching, and I just see in the wind, just go, just go. My neighbor, he's outside looking at the, the hail because it's coming down so hard. Then I see him go in the house, and all of a sudden I see the tree just go forward like, Phew. So I rushed everybody down to the basement. But anybody that was in the tornado that have pets, that'd tell you that their pets, for some reason, would not listen. Cause they already can pick up, they're keen in the senses like that. So I had to run upstairs, grab him, pretty big dog, got to like the last stair in the basement and the, the lights went out. So I'm like, ah, still a storm, just a windstorm. I get to the basement, get to the room, then just the whole house just starts sounding like freight train going through there. I call it a 747. They could say it sound like a train, but to me it's like 747, so I'm just hearing glass, everything just breaking, loud noises, then it just stopped. Then my neighbor, he yells my name, Dion, you all right? So we come outside, you know it's pitch dark, so you really can't see the disaster yet, but there's trees down in the front of the, on the street, so we take the cars, some chains, and start tying up the trees, and breaking the trees so the first responders can get down the streets and start checking. But while we doing that, they're saying, hey, here comes another one. So I go back in the house, so this one reality kicked in, like, I think I'm about to die from a tornado. Didn't come, but the next morning, woke up, went outside, you know, you click your heels three times, like, <laughs> was it vibes, and you just wake up somewhere else, it's like you just came outside and it was just disaster everywhere. Houses, trees, cars, roofs. Just everything. It's unreal. Did you sleep in the basement that night? I don't think I slept that night. Probably for about an hour. Then after that, I had to get up and start to get to work. Time to get busy. Can you describe what your house looked like after it hit? The roof blew off, blew on all the cars. All the windows came out, doors, sheds, fences, anything outside was gone. I probably had like one of the biggest trees that came out, the ground. I just actually got it removed probably about four weeks ago. I called so many companies out of there to come look at it, and they was just like, this is just too big. But I've been working with Westminster and Sally. She does like a faith base, so I didn't got involved with them to help on the rebuild. Because like the young lady that said earlier, everybody just got their chainsaws and started going. So now everybody's starting to organize and find out what's really starting to happen, because we're all new to this. <laughs> we, we live and we learn. You should be well prepared if this ever happens again. Hopefully it doesn't, but hey, it's whatever he decides to do. That day after the tornado hit, is it just endless cleaning, is it endless? Yes, my daughter and her mother, they went to Springfield to stay with their family. And I stayed in the house for about two weeks without electric and water, and I had to clean. It's your castle, you the man. You had to clean up before they get back. At least make it halfway decent and get everything back in order. So it was just constant cleaning. You clean the same thing for eight hours and go to sleep, then wake back up and it's like, man, you're back cleaning the same thing. Man, I thought I cleaned this up. It was just, I call it Groundhog Day because it was like deja vu all over again every day. No electricity, no water. Yeah. What did you, it was just endless cleaning. Did you able to listen to music? Were you able to do anything that was enjoyable no. other than cleaning? Once I got done cleaning, it was, I go to sleep. <laughs> My neighbors would come, we'll sit on the porch. I watched the neighborhood because it's pitch dark. Then you got people that love to do ignorant things and disasters still and stuff like that. So we'll sit on the porch, lights and just talk, keep each other company, then go in and see each other back first thing in the morning. Like, I have a dog, so I can't take my dog everywhere to, like, family, so I'm not leaving my dog there. That's part of the family. So life went on like that for two weeks? Yeah. 
did eventually service get restored to your house? Yes, okay. yes. They had to come IPL, not DPL, IPL, Indiana. They came and started putting up the poles. And once electric came on, it's like birthday. I was happy. Got some air flowing through the house and stuff like that. Water. They took well good care of us in the neighborhood. They come by every day, feed us, give us water. The community came together so strong. It sucks that tragedy has to bring the best out of people, but hey, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. When you say they, who was doing that? Any and everybody. I had to start turning stuff down, like, no, I'm all right. I'm, you know, my back porch is full of water, down to like my last four cases. They came by every night. One lady should come by, make sure I had ice, because at the nighttime, that's when I want to keep the ice, keep food. Chick-fil-A had come by. A lot of people really stepped up, stepped up and showed out. When you finally get electric stored, that's two weeks later, you think? About two and a half weeks two later. Two and a half weeks later. Did life ever get back to normal in that house, or? I was slowly getting back to normal, and when I thought when I was getting back to normal, I get hit with a curveball for the whole summer since May. Like, I just been worked, just nonstop work, working. One of my buddies like, hey, you want to go canoeing? First I said no, because I'm just like, nah. I'm like, I need to go ahead and get out, so I go canoeing down in Springfield, Mad River. Had a great time. Go to my mother's house, she lived in Springfield, go to my mother's house, get dressed, get the water off me, the river water. We had a blast out there on the river. Nice night, I ain't seen my family in a while cause things changed, you know, it was working. So I called my father, they come over to my mom's, we hang out, me and him, we drink our Jack. That's that's our bonding time, Jack Daniels. We're sitting there, I, I beg my mother and they're watching my nephew, my sister's son. So I got her and her husband, so I'm like, hey, let's go to the Oregon district. So we come on up here and we're having a good time. Tragedy struts. How long were you in the Oregon district that night? Probably for about an hour. Did you go to any bars particularly? We went into Newcombs. Yeah, we went into Newcombs. Went in there, had a good time, partying. I haven't hung out with my family because I've been so busy getting my priority back straight. So we just having a good time. Then we go outside. My sister and her husband, because it was my sister's husband's birthday, so they're still up in their own world having fun. So while we're sitting outside waiting for my sister and her husband to come, a gentleman comes down the side of the building and, you know, claims claims the lives of... Where was your sister and husband? Do you know which... They was in Newcombs. They oh, got they locked in Newcombs. Were well, you guys in the taco line or...? Uh, we was in the street. Most of the victims was on the sidewalk. Okay. My father was in the street. Yeah. Were you getting tacos or no? I can't remember. That whole night went kind of pitch black on me a little bit. But I'm pretty sure I was because I like that taco stand. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I like that taco stand. Two unbelievable tragedies that 99% of people aren't experiencing in their life. Like a phrase that I heard, and it's true, they said, once you go through a disaster, you never can be the person you are before that. You never can be the same person you are. So I went through a disaster on May 29th, and I can never be the person I was before that. So while I was trying to find my identity in between time, it changes again. I question a lot of faith a lot just because I, I don't understand it. Why am I being so in the areas that it's happening? I really don't understand how I'm not one of the victims because me and my father were side by side. But when I sit back and think about the days and, and reminisce about how the night was, because he was sleep in the car and I'm just like, hey dad, stay in the car. We're gonna go in for a few minutes. Oh, you going in? Uh -uh, I'm going in. So that was like first sign of like, oh, I'm protecting. Then when we we're in there, my fiance, she's at the bar, he's being protected. I'm like, I'm right here, I don't need you. He was just being protected the whole night. And then it ended that night like that because it was me, my dad and her. We was all standing right beside each other. Like my daughter could have lost all of us that night. I don't understand it. And for a minute I was trying to understand it, but just leave it in God's hands. It's hard. But. Has the Dayton community done stuff that have helped you? Is there things we could be doing to help you and other mm -hmm. survivors? The Dayton community has been awesome. It has been great. They've been showing nothing but love and kindness. Love conquer hate all day. It's amazing people just give me a hug because some days I might really be angry than a person that just come out and just give me a hug and it'll balance me right back. I think the community is doing great. Like there's so many great people that's heat in place in my life since this been happening to keep me grounded and to make sure that I'm getting self-care, which I always make sure others are better. I make sure I'm all right, but I'm, I'm just that type of person where I always help others first before I help myself. I work at St. Vincent's, the shelter for men. That's not an easy job. <laughs> You know, it's not an easy job, but that's the direction he's sending me. That's, that's the direction I'm going to follow. This summer, there's like three things I've been going through, like adversity, because I forgive too. I forgive the families. I forgive because in order to heal, you have to forgive. So I've just been practicing adversity, conquering that, forgiveness and faith. Them the three stages, you know, and they say, Dion, he wouldn't place nothing on your shoulder you can't handle. I'm just like, ooh, place the brodo on my shoulder. 
you know, like you're destined to do great. But I'm just like, man, I was doing all right. I, I was fine, just how I was. But if this is the path he puts me on to touch people, to help change lives, to help violence, to help, I guess I gotta, gotta walk in this path. You're listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast, and I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. You can find my interview with Dion Green in an earlier episode of this show. The What Had Happened Was podcast is made possible partly by our sponsor, Premier Health. Our care lives in the hour between dropping off the kids and making it to your first meeting. Because scheduling your doctor's appointment should work around your life, not the other way around. Premier Health now offers online scheduling for primary care and select specialty services. Setting up an appointment takes seconds, and in some cases, you can see a provider the same day. Just head to premierhealth.com slash schedule to see how easy it can be. Our care lives on your schedule. Premier Health. I'm Angela LeBlanc. And where are you from? West Carrollton, Ohio. Okay, and how about you? I'm Debbie Downey, and I'm from Sugar Creek. So why do you guys want to come talk to us? We have been busy doing this since the day after the tornado. I started out with my father the day after we took water. And then we started to see the need for food. So we loaded up with grills, and I contacted people I knew and started getting food that we could grill out. Then supplies started coming in. We eventually moved to the corner of Trey and Stanley. I met wonderful people that we grew into meeting and eventually becoming a nonprofit organization here in Dayton. Fed, the last time we were on the corner of Troy and Stealing, we fed 427 people that we counted in one day. Was it something you wanted to do? We seen the need and felt that we could provide that. And it was just a bunch of normal, everyday people who got that call and came together and fulfilled it. We service a lot of people who've fallen through the cracks, a lot of disabled people who, either physically or mentally, who may not understand what they need to do. We can go in and help them through that. We're not anybody but, like I said, normal people. That helping hand is what they need. I had a client that I work with, a family, that she's disabled. She could not figure it out. I went to her first FEMA appointment and got her through it. Now she's in a home and she's thriving. So like the people who've been left behind are the people who may not have resources already or not right. able to... Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a lot of that? A lot. A whole lot. Like what other sort of gaps do you see that need to be filled as far as those people go? Getting the message out. A lot of people just don't have the internet or they don't have a way to get to these resources. We've reached out trying to get bus passes just so they can get down to the job center to try to get set up on some services that may help them. They just don't have transportation and there could be a lot of reasons why. Each case, each family we would deal with is different. Going forward, what is the community going to need? We still need a lot of support. Donations still need to be coming in. We're seeing people not being able to get to the food banks. Yeah, the food. The food is so food still, is still an issue. Mm-hmm. Food is a big issue. We do probably twenty food deliveries a week. We will be out until midnight if it takes that, and we have been getting the food to the people that it needs to go to. Yeah. Now our coats. Coats. Yes. Yeah. Coats, coats and gloves and hats and winter boots and. Stuff like that. So, so that's what Jenny's wish does. Mm-hmm. Yep. How would you guys come up with the name? It's like a. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's name was Jeannie, and she'd always wished I'd have done something with myself. <laughs> so me and the kids was joking and a lot. We had a storage unit, and I had all the kids in there working. And I said, you know, my mom always wished I'd have done something with myself. I said, so I think I'm going to call it Jeannie's Wish. <laughs> So that's how we came up with the name. That's hilarious. But a genie grants wishes. So we try to highlight three wishes a month. It may be a kid who was in a tornado whose parents can't afford a birthday party. So we did do that for a little girl. We had her a pizza party. Else donated a cake. Someone reached out and bought all her gifts. And then I asked her mom how many friends she would have there, and she said she wouldn't 
she didn't have any friends. So I reached out to my son and even provided friends. No. Changed her world. You, see, you lady, you're trying to make me cry. I just know you are. I just <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the sweetest thing. Your son, so your son brought his kids over and they... Yeah. He brought his friends and the little girl had a wonderful party. Hopefully us doing that gave her what she needed to come out that little runt of the bullying and you know, make her feel good enough now that she can soar forward. With the holidays coming up, still remember that these people are still struggling. If it takes buying an extra turkey or a, a bag of stuffing, you know, these people need it. Or even a gift will make a difference in somebody's life. Bless your heart, that's awesome. So how many people are you working with? Right now we have four, but we have a big chain of people who support us. And when we need things like coats or gloves, food, we, re we reach out and people answer that call and get us what we need and then we get it to the people who still are in need of these things. So you're working mainly in North Dayton then? All over. All over. All over. People have been relocated to different areas. The problem we're seeing right now is a lot of people live with people and they've fallen through the cracks. These people have no resources because you have to have vouchers, FEMA papers, Red Cross papers to be able to get the assistance that's out there now. So there's a lot of people who can't get that. So we're filling in that gap is what we're trying to do. The day after the storm, you and your dad did what? You just drove out? The day after, we drove out with water. With water, okay. And then we we were in Albright out in Trotwood, and we've seen there was a need for formula. So we went and we got formula, and then we met these three wonderful men who went and took that formula and ran it to moms in need till 6 o'clock in the morning. And each mom that was delivered to contacted us back and thanked us. And it just kept growing from there. What do you think it means that so many dating people did this kind of thing? Like, they kind of just get off their couches and just get out there and went and helped? It's unbelievable. What does that say about our community? It's strong. Very strong. How is Dayton strong different from Philadelphia strong or Boston strong or any other strong? Well... You better not make me cry either. <laughs> I've been pretty good so far today, but when people start to cry... <laughs> Gotta tell a joke. I know. <laughs> what do you think makes us strong? Well, just uh, the community coming together um, as one and not being divided by um, color, their culture, their um, money levels. Money levels. Know. There's numerous things that I'm sure they have it there too, but I can't believe how many people, I mean, got out and, and made a difference. When did you guys decide to take it not just from this, this one kind of thing, but to turn it into a nonprofit? How'd that whole thing come about? It hurt us not being a nonprofit because we couldn't get the resources we needed to keep going. This is something I have. I've done in the community for probably about eight years, and I never really thought to do anything with it besides just when people reached out to me, I could always find resources for them. What kind of work do you do? Is that through your job or something that you do that, or is it just on your own? Just on my own. I'm disabled, and I sit at home a lot, but I know a lot of people. I just felt there was a need. So what, do you go out in, like, a truck or something? or My van. Her, her van, my car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it four people working? Yeah. The two of you and yeah. two other people? Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you guys friends or cousins we or sisters? I met her Stanley. on Troy and Stanley. And we, Get out of here. We have never been apart since. Never met each other before in our lives. What? Nope. So you guys didn't know each other? Tell me about how you met. I was running that corner. That was my corner. <laughs> And I told everybody when they come there, I said, you leave your religion, your politics, and your prejudice at the curb. And if you choose to stay, you can. If not, you can move on. And Debbie came one day and with her van, and we've been with each other every day. So you didn't even know each other? No. Never met before in our lives. So what made it click, do you think? We just worked good together. We worked very well together. And I think we have the same in our hearts. That's what it is. It's in our hearts. That's amazing. It really is. Something that brought you together. And I really enjoy doing it, helping others. I do, too. You know, I, I really like, enjoy that. Yeah, it makes you feel good. Yeah. I started eight years ago with a turkey and $40 and ended up 
it was a family whose father was a heroin addict and I knew they had kids so I went and bought toys I knew they couldn't sell to go buy anything else but I made sure them kids had a dinner and treat gifts on the tree and it, each year it has grown and probably two years ago I started two friends joined in with me and then last year three friends joined in with me and then this year we are a thing now actually an organization I mean this we're struggling because it's all donation only you know, we haven't gotten any grants or anything is it slowing down or is it still steady it's slowing down mm -hmm. but I think we just we get a building. Uh, probably we just got we're getting registered with the food bank. So once we're registered with them, we will actually be registered, I guess, with their contacts. Yeah. Plus, we'll have a home to call a place to call home that me and her's going to pay for until we can start getting some money and to help pay for it. A friend of ours is giving it to us very cheap. That's cool. So, but at least it helps us with more legit. Yeah, it's a home that we can, you know, a place start. To home. Yeah, start. Store your uh, stuff there. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah. Have yeah. an address that people yeah. can send. Well, we basically. can actually buy meat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because see, we we don't have hardly any meat. I went through the food bank myself just to see. I got two cans of chickpeas and four packs of tomatoes. You can't feed a family on that. I mean, just and rice. I mean, lots of rice. You get lots of rice when you go to the food bank? Oh, yeah. Beans mm. and rice. But this way, we'll be able to buy meat and actually take meat into these people. And you know, we just get what we get. My name is Elisha Osaman from Dayton, Ohio. Dior Miller from Dayton, Ohio. And we're the Little Heart Schoolhouse. And what's the Little Heart Schoolhouse? It's a daycare facility located at 4501 Riverside Drive. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why'd you guys want to come? Because we just wanted to let people know how we gave in the time of the tragedy, the tornadoes. Okay. And what we were able to do. And pretty much we, um, we are, we're, like I said, we're located at 4501 Riverside Drive. We're right in the heart where the tornadoes hit really hard. All of our neighbors were displaced. Um, they lost everything. And our building was the only building still standing, pretty so, much. So you didn't have any damage? I did. Okay. We did have damage. I'm not saying we didn't have damage, <laughs> but we suffered. You know, we had we our damage Outside was damage. not anything compared to where, you know, we're right behind uh, Dayton Girls Prep, the um, Charity Adams School, and um, Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts, where the, all yeah. those trees were. You know, so all of the trees around us were totally knocked over and knocked on our building. We couldn't even get in our parking lot for a good bit of time. Our lights were off for several weeks. Our internet was off for months phone and internet, our fences, all of our playground. We have three playgrounds and they were kind of destroyed. <laughs> the swing set was lifted up and in the in the playground. But while we were repairing the out the outer layer of our building, only thing happened really to the inside of the building was um, our air conditioning unit had to be replaced. But while we were repairing the outer layer of our unit, we were so blessed that we just gave back. You know, we felt so lucky and so blessed that, you know, we didn't sustain the kind of damage that um, our neighbors did. So we passed out toiletries. We passed out water. We stood all of my family, my children, we stood on the corner and we handed out water and hot food and clothing. And um, Were you in the parking lot? Yeah. I think I saw you guys. Yes, we were there every day for like almost almost two months. Wow. Yeah, every day. So what kept you going up there every day? Just because, you know, we knew that there was a need. And I was there the day after. And I actually saw ladies walking in the street barefoot. They lost, like, everything. And people were, the you know, what we don't hear about is nobody lost. People didn't lose life, but people were injured. I had two staff members who lived in those apartments. And one broke a leg. And one family, you know... People were injured and they were hurt. They had, some of them decided to move out of this area. So we, we lost staff, you know. But we just gave back to the best of our ability to make sure that we, you know, we showed our appreciation for being spared, but also that we knew there was a need in the community and people were really struggling at that time. So was your personal house impacted or? No, my personal home was not impacted, but my business, that's where we are all day, every day. And so that's where, you know, those were our neighbors and a lot of my staff are from those apartments right across the street. 
and a lot of my clients, the children that I serve, were from that area. So, yeah. How's it now? It's rough because they've condemned those apartments. Um, you know, they're no longer there. And, um, you know, clientele has gone down a lot because the area is kind of kind of desecrated. Yeah. So you think you'll keep your business there then? Yeah, we will. We're dating strong. That's what this story is about, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> we're fighters. We're, we're, you know, we're here for the long haul. This what? is home for me. What does that mean to be dating strong? Oh, man. It just means that you're just pulling from your inner core. And just making sure that you look out for yourself and your neighbors. And, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger if you learn from it. And that's what we're trying to display to our community. That, yes, we've been affected, and there's been a lot of people affected. But when we stand together, we're strong. You know, we do it. We have our life, and that's a blessing. What do you think it mean, what says about dating that so many people did what you guys did? Kind of rolled their sleeves up and got in there. It means that, you know... At the end of the day, we care for one another. You know, at the end of the day, a lot goes on in this town, but we really care for one another. And, you know, we're not going to let our neighbors be without. You know, people really came from a good place, and they they donate. And then people started donating to us to give to the community. <laughs> we became like a hub. I had a... You know, I had so much stuff inside of my daycare at one point. I was like, okay, no more donations. <laughs> I got to get the stuff away. <laughs> and then so we started um, at the end when we were wrapping it up, we started donating all the things that we collected to the homeless shelters and the places that were taken and the families who still needed shelter. So going forward, what is the community going to need, do you think? Well, I, you know, I think the most important thing at this time is for people to have mental health counseling for some of the things that they've experienced, you know, after the tornado, during the tornado. And I think our city did a wonderful job at cleanup and the physical work that needed to take place. But there's just a lot of, you know, underlying challenges that people have faced with um, this happening, the tornado, and then turn around, we have the vast shooting. People just, you know, people were hurting. So I just hope that they're reaching out to the proper channels to get the help that they need. Now, how are you? Because, like, I talked to a woman the other day who mm-hmm. works from her home, and her, her whole neighborhood is decimated. How, how are you doing as far as coming to work every day, seeing this devastation? Well, you know, my family keeps me motivated. Um, you know, and like I said, my business was really, really affected. But at the same token, you know, my, our lives were spared. So I think I'm doing pretty well in the sense that, you know, I know I know what my purpose is. You know, we lost things, but I still have my family. And there were people around us. My children stood out there for days, passing out, you know, waters and, you know, just giving, you know, holding up signs. I felt at one time, I told my mom, I think we started that dating strong. <laughs> I honestly thought we did. <laughs> just because we had signs out there day one, dating strong, you know, and it's just we, you know, we, we posted signs all around that corner, dating strong, and people would blow and wave and just to give encouragement because, you know, even though you lose things, you still have your life, and that's a blessing. You know, we had, we got hit hard. I was watching your program, your, your meteorologist program, and they gave a statistic about how many tornadoes are EF4s and EF5s, and it's less than 1%, and we survived. Yeah, EF4 coming right through you. you we survived. It means something you can take an EF4. And yeah, we took a big punch, and we took a punch all over the city. Mm-hmm. Not just one little area. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was one here, one that they just, I mean, I mean that day it was really something, you know, that you just couldn't stop hearing about it, you know. We see another one. I never forget it. Just, we have another one. If you have anybody in Dropwood, please call them. So we took a big hit, and we're still here. And we're strong and we're resilient. And, you know, I'm proud to be a Daytonian. I'm from here. My family is from here. And um, we love our city. Now, are, are, what's your relationship to each other? Are you guys married? No, no, that's my husband. Oh, that's your husband. This is my business manager. I'm sorry I'm mm-hmm. marrying you off. No, it's, okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. How about you? How are you How are you doing these days? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing great. Can't complain. Mm-hmm. He actually took people into his own home. He uh, took several families in. And they stayed at this home. Why did you do? Why did you want to do that? It's a well, big thing to do. Well, it was because of my friends and family, and they needed a place to stay at that time. So I wasn't just going to have them stand in those shelters when I had the space and availability 
so to make people feel more comfortable like they already going through a lot and so to be bumping up with a bunch of people you don't know and things to that nature you know that like some shelters can't provide everything you need mm-hmm. and just the comfortability of being somewhere to where you know so that's why I wanted to take people in, my friends and, you know, their families and things How many like people that. did you have in? A total, of, ended up being a total of like 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. At one time or just 10? Just at, at, at one time, at one time it was 10, but then, you know, they started, they started getting oh, shelter. Okay. Yeah. shelter. But they were right there for away. a long time. Yeah. How, how many, like, how long were they there? Well, one of my friends stayed with us for about two or three months until I could find him a house. And then uh, one of them was like about a week. And then another one was like two weeks afterwards. So it was just like, but at one point, the very the very first night after it happened, that's when we was so back. So like a mem- the day after Memorial Day, they came over? Yes. Like I actually went to go pick them up from a couple of my friends up from the shelter that they had moved from. Because they couldn't get from Trotwood to Dayton, so... We couldn't get into Trotwood, so we they waited till they went to the shelter in Dayton. I wanted to go pick them up from the shelter, and they families. And wow, mm-hmm. um, how big is your house? Small. How, is it how many bedrooms and stuff is it? Uh, three three bedrooms. It's a it's it's a, it's not a it's three children. Know, it's not huge. It's not huge, but it's a it's a decent size. Like they was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's three it's three it's kids. Three, kids three, are. Yeah. It's a nice basement. Oh. They have a nice home, but yeah. okay. saying it, it's it not, was crowded. It was crowded. It was but you crowded, know, the more the merrier. You know, you, you, so one can idea. share, two can yeah. share, two can share, four can share. Right. So, and that's yeah. the way we grew up. We had yeah, a big. This family. is my brother. Yeah. He's a what, by the way. Is your brother mm-hmm. okay? Not, <laughs> not, I was trying to figure out. Husband. <laughs> I was trying to figure out the connection. I don't want to marry you off to your brother. That's, <laughs> that's too much for everybody. So no, but yeah. So we, I just my family, my fiance, my kids. We know we we was blessed. We. Mm-hmm. Didn't even have a leaf blown off our porch. Like wow. I couldn't believe it. I honestly, I got woken up to her telling me to go check on the center at five thirty. But my mom was in the nursing home in Trotwood yeah, at that Maria time. Jokes. So my mother had just had surgery. Mm-hmm. They had so I flew there. I mean, I flew to the. I didn't believe it. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. I just didn't believe Dayton had a tornado. I'm thinking, oh, it's a bad windstorm, like 2008. Right. But then once I actually got to the neighborhood where turned on him, like, oh, I called her, like, it's for real. Like, I'm trying to make it down to the center now. I don't know if I can make it down there, but I'm going to make it. And then once I seen the damage, let her know. And then I ran up to Stratwood and checked on my mom. And that's when I seen the severity of the, the tornado, the damage that it done on Salem and Trotwood and Shiloh Springs, Hare Arena. And you had to keep circling around to go places at that time. So it was just like you would see the damage, like, oh, like... So, so, many stuff, trees and down, so many trees yeah. and you've seen families waiting for hours yeah you've seen the families walking out homes with their bags the only thing can sat little salvage left is left and everything like that so that's why I mainly wanted to take in, me and my fiance I wanted to take in our friends and families that you know that we can mm-hmm. help out and how are they doing now, the folks that you helped out? Wonderful. They're doing mm-hmm. great. Did they stay where they were, or did they move somewhere else? I know they pretty much staying where they're at, where they're at now. No, mm-hmm. she says that they have to be have relocated. To they had to be relocated, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had yeah. to be relocated. Relocate. Oh, no, no, no. no Their yeah. homes are destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their homes are destroyed. Destroyed, knocked down. It's yeah. demolished. They lived in those apartments in Trotwood. Some of them did. So yeah, those so. people will never go back. Mm-hmm. You know, they already demolished Westbrook, and they're working on Castlebrook now and so that's where a couple of my friends and family stayed at the ones I was in Trotwood that came to stay with me and mm-hmm. things like that so they all okay now but they're not in Trotwood anymore no ma'am that's the one thing that nobody's really thinking about how a lot of people are not going back mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to the communities mm-hmm. as a result of that exactly. Right. So what do you think the city needs going forward to get us through this honestly I was just telling somebody I wish they would have turned Good Sam into a, a shelter Instead of just tearing it down completely, I think we need more shelters for all the homeless vets, people that just, I think the city need a lot more shelters. And I think that'll help out. Mm-hmm. I really do. I really do. What does it mean to you to be dating strong? I mean, it means a lot, especially when you were born and raised here mm-hmm. and you see everyone coming together, no matter the mm-hmm. color, the race, the religion, no matter what it was, we all came together to make it a stronger city. And that was very proudful for me like you know you seeing people you just never thought you would see working and helping with each other and communities coming together and 
at that present time, you didn't care what was going on personally, but you just knew it was bigger than you at that time. So that means they were stronger than me. Why did you feel like you wanted to come out in the first place to talk about this? Because there were so many people who helped. There were so many people who donated. And I want them to know that the folks we helped around, they're okay. We're still doing. And it was well appreciated. And it was well appreciated and much needed. And we're thankful. And, you know, we're, we're still here. And anything we can do to help, we will. That's great. And now, um, do any of the kids want to talk? What you want to say? Just come right over here by your uncle. Okay, so what is your name and how old are you? Genesis Miller. Seven. We gave people free water and free daycare. We gave them food and clothes and things like that. Why was that a thing you wanted to do? To help people out. What did that mean to you that you were able to do that? Like, did it make you feel good to do that? Yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm Khadija Bilal, and I'm 14. 14? So, what does it mean to be Dayton strong to you? It means that how strong, they, like, the people in Dayton are, and how they pulled together to help everybody, and how they gave people free things and shelter, and just, like, basically helped them out. Why did you personally want to help out? Because I felt like that they had nowhere else to go, and I couldn't really do anything about the tornado, but give everything I had to them I could give. Now, what did you guys do to help the people during the tornado? We gave out toiletries, deodorant, cold water. We gave out baby diapers and diaper wipes. Just we had little packages of care goods and things like that. Now, were you scared at all during the tornado or scared after the tornado? I was in Trotwood, you know, at my sure grandma's was. house. My mom was, like, calling me. She was like, there's a big tornado coming at Trotwood. And I was, I, at first I didn't really believe it. Neither did my grandma. We were driving home, well, to her house. And she, first, we were, my mom was like, go to um, go to the basement. And, but instead, me, my grandma, and my auntie, we were, we were in the bathroom hiding. And I was just, like, praying that it didn't hit us and hoping that we would be safe. Did her house get damaged? No. So you were okay. Yeah. But did you hear it? Hear the tornado? Yeah, I heard wind and stuff bumping against the window. And the lights. Yeah. Oh, and our lights went out, too. What was that like for you to, to be in that situation? It was really scary. When we were in the bathroom, we were, like, crowded up and stuff. But in the bathtub? Yeah, we are in the, her bathtub. We were, like, sitting next to each other. And our grandma was, like, she was just, like, she, I don't think she really believed it was going to happen because tornadoes really don't happen in um, Dayton. And she wasn't, like, that worried about it. But I was pretty scared. you have friends who lived through the tornado? I don't think so. Which school do you go to? I go to Centerville. Oh, you're in Centerville, so you were totally out of the way. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's good. What's your name? Celine Bilal. How old are you? Eight. So why did you want to help doing a tornado? I just wanted to help the people that um, didn't have anything and just got hit by the tornado. How did you help? Give them, like, toiletries and just get them deodorant and... Cool. I mean, that was nice to be able to do that, huh? Yeah. Yes. Theodore Hale. I live in Kettling, Ohio, and I am 20 years old. Why'd you want to come in? I did a fundraiser for the Dayton Foundation for the Dayton Tornadoes. I just wanted to come and show something that I did personally for the tornadoes. Were you impacted directly? Not directly impacted. What do you think it says about Dayton that so many people pitched in? Well, I think it says that, you know, that Daytonians like, really care about their neighbors and really care about society. I, I just feel it's a, it's a good contribution, and I'm glad that everybody did contribute. You weren't directly impacted. Why did you want to help? I wanted to help because so many of our communities were impacted by these tornadoes. A lot of them were places that I went bike riding. I live in Kettering, but I live, go bike riding to Brookville, that got hit. I go bike riding to Shotwood, that got hit. Northridge, that got hit. Riverside, that got hit. For, it crossed over a lot of bike paths. Like, it crossed over Wolf Creek Trail, just southeast of Brookville. There was two tornadoes that crossed over the Great Miami Trail. One was just right outside, just north, like, right on the river by Dayton, and the other one was further north up by the corn factory thing up there. And then the other one, I think, crossed over on Finley Street, over by Finley Street. Bad river trail. I just saw so so many of my places that I like to bike to in turmoil, and I wanted to help. What did you do? I raised $1,156 for the Greater Dayton Disaster Relief Fund. 
through the Dayton Foundation. What I did is I actually constructed a, a GoFundMe, constructed it a couple days after the tornado, because I actually had surgery at the end of June, so I only took donations for about three weeks and then did the guide. And before I had the surgery and did the guide, I took all my collections down to the Dayton Foundation presented the check. I raised, so I got $1,156 on the GoFundMe page. I just, so I, what I did is I biked to Blanchester for, have you ever heard of the race across America? Uh-huh. You have the yeah. bike race? Yeah. Okay, so uh, you know how they go through Oxford and then Blanchester? Okay. Mm-hmm. I got invited down by uh, the people who run the Blanchester time station. I got invited down to watch the race from the time station tent. And I was like, hey, I could, and I knew it was on June 24th, and I knew that like a month and a half in advance. So I was like, hey, I could use that opportunity to raise money for the tornadoes. Since it was a 70 mile ride, I was like, the goal was to have people pledge $7, so a dime a mile for 70 miles. But we have people donating $50, $20. I think there was one who even donated $100. I spread the word within uh, three weeks and raised $1,156. So June 20th, I think that was a dose, I got to pull all the money out, made a two-hour deposit check to the Dayton Foundation. Monday, I biked down there and presented the check. Now, why was this something important to you to do? Because like- I, I saw that a lot of people needed the help. There were people who didn't have food, didn't have a house. You know, I had all that stuff, you know. You, you should always, you know, be grateful for what you have and try to give to those less fortunate. I just felt it was just calling. And, you know, and I know that I'm good at bike riding. I'm like, I, I'm not professional, but I'm pretty good at bike riding. In fact, it was on the news. They said, like, everybody use your way of your abilities to help others. I think there was somebody who's good at cooking. I think I saw, like, a story, like, one of the making a difference stories. There was, there was somebody who was, like, good at cooking, and they cooked a meal for an old, and then there was somebody who was good at quilting, and they made blankets. And then so I was like, hey, I'm good at bike riding. Hey, I'll do some bike riding, have people pledge me for the miles, and give all the money to the Dayton Foundation. There were people the day after the tornado cooking meals and stuff and bringing water out to the people help cleaning up. By the end of the week, I was like, hey, I could probably do something. And I was like, oh yeah, bike riding. So uh, that's how I decided to do it. What's your name? Simone Milner. How old are you? I'm 20. 20. What do you want to share? Um, all the devastation that I guess I've been through and not just me, the community, and how we all come together as one and have each other's backs. Like, I lost my baby father. I witnessed him die in a car accident through the tornadoes. You know, everything's going on. Oregon shooting. We're all still here trying to make everything better as one. Well. I think that's real cool. So were you in the tornado? Was your house impacted by that? Or? Um, no, but everyone around me was. So it was like a blessing. How so? Like, what happened? Um, like, you know, Trowood, you know, the apartments around us are messed up. It's like we were the only neighborhood for in Trowood. Broadmoor was the only neighborhood that didn't get touched. So. What, do, what do you think that means that you guys didn't get touched? How do you explain that to yourself? That Like, we just lost power. Get food. Pimpins helped me a lot. They gave me diapers, wipes, a whole bunch of formula. Because she was on a ready-to-feed and not powder. So, even though I had to switch it to powder after the tornado because of the everything was out of stock. For, you know, how everybody was trying to help on the community on the corners. Went to a couple churches. Riverscape is messed up, but even though they was messed up, it's like the whole night, the whole day, they were giving out clothes, food, like anything for babies. It's just all around the community. I just had to get up and go find diapers and food and bring it back. Did you have to miss work? Mm-mm. Okay, so you still were able to take care of business? Yeah. Worried about the food part? Yeah, just worried about the food part because um, I work medical, so we couldn't. Ain't no, no calling off. <laughs> you got to go help the community. Even even though I feel like if something tragic happened, I still wouldn't stay in. Tornado, hurricane, it's like, respond. Like, a response to something traumatic could save a life that you never know. Are you an EMS? Um, no, I do phlebotomy and nurse assistant, so I'm just used to medical stuff all the time. Oh. Deal with it in the hospital or blood bank. No damage was done to our house, but ones around us was like trees falling, then like falling no houses. It was just amazing how it skipped around and did damage to others. Crazy. What is it like to live in that neighborhood? Just see all that devastation all the time. Just to see all that. Just keep thinking positive. Your life doesn't end. Your chapter doesn't end. I just feel like you should just continue to try to build and you know spread peace as much as you can and uplift. Because somebody else next to you is going through a tragic moment, you just probably don't know. So, is your are your neighbors coming back mostly? Mhm. 
my neighbors are back. That's good. Were you involved in the, um, the shooting as well, or? Um, no, moments before it happened, we was there, like in the back eating tacos, and then we left, and then we got all the news, and I'm like, dang, we was just there. I just feel like it's an angel watching over me. So you, you were out with friends then? Mm-hmm. What happened that night? Like, what were you doing that night? We just came to get tacos. It's a guy that makes tacos in the back of the alley. He was in the back of the alley talking, and then we just left and went somewhere else. How has this whole summer changed you, Doyle? Um, well, I lost my boyfriend in March, and I was pregnant at the time. My baby came a month later. It's like, really my life been empty now. It's like different and lonely. I'm sorry. How's your boyfriend dying? He was trying to save his uncle's life. He told me that he was going like, to be in the car with his uncle and go home. He told me to follow, but he told me he was driving. He tricked me. I got there. He wasn't driving. And then I got caught at the light. We came through the light on James H. McGee, so Paul, his uncle smashed into the pole, and they both died like, yeah. immediately. I couldn't do nothing. They was trapped and pinned, so. But your baby's okay? Mm-hmm. What have you been doing to take care of yourself? Um, There's a lot of trauma this, going on. I know. This is my daughter. Family support, friend support. My daughter's my biggest motivation. I want to quit. It's like my daughter. I can't. How old was he? 19. Oh, he's a baby, too. Mm-hmm. Are you in counseling or anything? No. I think so. I didn't like counseling. It's like every time with the counseling, you know, they talk about it. And it's like it replays, and it already replays. It's stuck in my mind. Like I had to see my boyfriend's dead body and think about how I gotta raise a daughter now. Like we didn't have a baby shower together that we planned. We planned a water birth, but didn't get a water birth that I wanted. So, mm-hmm. does she look like him? Exactly like him. That's crazy. Cool. I don't have no features. You know, <laughs> no nothing, features. None, none of you. None you weren't even me. involved. No. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody's talking about dating strong. What does that mean to you? Through all the negativity that's going on in the city, it's like we didn't turn our backs. During the tornado, every corner was giving out supplies. Everybody was out cooking for one another every day. Didn't nobody ask. Didn't nobody tell. Didn't nobody make nobody. It's like the whole community everywhere cleaning up. It was just a lot. The Gem City is a mighty strong community. The stories we just shared prove that. This episode of the What Had Happened Was podcast was produced, edited, and written by me, Amelia Robinson, and the WHIO Radio Studios. It includes additional reporting by Corey Froelich and editing by Mike Baranek, Javon Pippins, and James Harrelson. Ashley Bethard, Ron Rollins, and Emily Broughton provided additional support for this multifaceted project. Special thanks to the Dayton Metro Library and all of those who shared their stories of struggle, survival, and strength. Additional stories will be shared as part of a upcoming WHIO TV special. Until next time, stay dating strong.